0: Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have Meredith Boggs on the line with us today. Meredith, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm doing so good, thanks. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Can you uh, give the listeners a quick quick introduction?
1: <laughs> yes. I am Meredith Boggs. I'm a born and raised Nashville girl. I um. I'm kind of a jack of a lot of trades, master of none. Uh, by trade, I am a nurse. I am um, a critical care nurse and a sexual assault nurse examiner. So ER, ICU, transport, that's been my whole career and my world that I've lived in. I am um, also a new author and a new mom. I've got I've had a blog and a podcast for Several years now, um, my blog and podcast are called The Other Half, um, and the premise is the other half of life that doesn't make the highlight reel, so it's kind of going off script, talking about all the things that people don't talk about on the highlight reel of Instagram. Um, and then I just recently signed a book deal with a publisher and have a book releasing sometime, probably late 2022, still don't have the pub date yet. But, um, and then I also am a new mom. I have a little nine month old boy who is just the light of my life. And so lots of new, new things for me in life. Lots of just learning the ropes and figuring things out. That is
0: amazing. First of all, so much congratulations. You've got so much amazing things going on. Obviously the birth of your son top of the list but congratulations published author that's incredible so fun um obviously you kind of started in one world you know critical care nurse and man that's a a whole huge career right what was kind of the process of like growing up in Nashville you know I'm sure it was a lot quieter back (laughs) back when you were a kid versus now um but kind of talk me through like your childhood growing up in Nashville and then like college and nursing school and then you know kind of how you got to the place where you're at now
1: uh, well, I, yes, Nashville was a totally different city <laughs> when I grew up here. Um, what I love about it is that it still has that small town feel. People are so kind. They're so, like, they're just good neighbor kind of people. Um, and you still see country music stars out and about, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. Like You go to dinner and it's like, oh, there's, you know, whoever it is sitting in the booth over so that's that's the fun part about Nashville. people are also really respectful because it's like they're just trying to have a date night on a friday night
0: so <laughs> yeah.
1: Nashville has that cool small town feel to it even though it's a big city um it's grown a ton and it's been so fun but i grew up here my dad is actually in the music industry he's a songwriter so oh, cool. kind of grew up with writing in my blood a little bit um and then graduated high school went off to college knew that i wanted to go to nursing school um and actually I had a professor in, it was like my freshman or sophomore year. It was some class like world history or something that was like never a class I would have taken. It was just like one of the, you know, prereqs, one of your general ed courses. And um, I remember the tests were all essay style. And I, everyone, this professor was notoriously really hard and everyone was like, Oh yeah, I failed his class. And I was like, well, shoot, this is going to be it then, because that's the only one left to sign up for that works with the rest of my schedule. I have to take anatomy for nursing school. So I was like, all right, well, this might be the death of me, but I aced every test and he pulled me aside and he asked, he was like, what's your major? And I told him it was nursing. He was like, have you ever considered germ- journalism or something like that? And I was like, well, I've kind of always liked to write, but at this point, I'm not really pursuing it professionally. Um, but that was kind of a seed planted after you know that was that was kind of the first seed that was planted that was like oh you're a good writer um and so i went on to graduate from nursing school and worked in the icu worked in the er even lived abroad worked for a nonprofit that provides medical and surgical care for orphan children um that was china so spent some time traveling southeast asia and just kind of just kind of exploring the world and um came back home to Nashville after that and kind of went back to went back to bedside nursing because that was what I was trained in that you know it's it's a good stable job but at that point really started to pursue writing more intentionally um, and that's when I i had always had a tumblr blog <laughs> 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 I still what's funny is it's still out there on the internet oh, that's and I'm awesome. like maybe someday if I make it as you know if I make it as a writer that'll be funny to look back on but um but I I you know did the, you know, bought a domain and I started writing and, um, trying to, you know, and submitting for different publications. And then the podcast was kind of a, a natural counterpart to that. Um, and yeah, just really had pursued this dream of writing, um, and specifically writing books. What's actually funny is that I, my goal had been to be published by the time I was 30. So I'm like looking at 30, okay, that's not going to (laughs) happen. Um, had, Cranked out two proposals within a couple years. Both had countless rejections, and I was just finally like, "Okay, well, I don't know if this is just never meant to be, or if I just need to put this on hold." But I actually was part of a program last fall, and they had they had like 800 applicants. You applied for it, and you got mentored along um, with some New York Times best-selling authors. You had your own writing coach. I was like, okay. I'm going to, you know, learn, learn all the, all the ropes of this, went through the course. It was like 800 people that applied. They chose a hundred and then they picked the top proposals and took them to and pitched them to publishers. And so I was like, well, if nothing else, I'll just come out of this program with just a really solid proposal that I'll be able to pitch. And mine ended up going to the final round and getting pitched to publishers. And mine was actually one of the two that was chosen out of all of those wow. to get published. which was really cool and I actually um, I found out the the day that I was at the hospital in labor with my son my (laughs) my agent she uh, sent me an email and she was like hey I'm having conversations with the publisher can we schedule a call for later this week (laughs) and I still didn't know at the time I was I was I was a little I was a few weeks early, so I was like, maybe this isn't the real thing. Like they're just gonna check me, like watch me for a few hours, send me home. I was totally in denial that I was about to meet my son. And, and so I was like, I emailed her back and I was like, Well, I'm actually kind of busy right now. I might be having a baby, I don't know. So, but I'm free this afternoon if you wanna call. So we <laughs> sat on the phone while I'm like literally in the L and D triage room hooked up to the contraction monitor. She's like hey i'm here with the publisher they like what you have going but they wanted to see a few tweaks in the proposal can you change that and get it back to me by the end of the week and i was like yes i can absolutely do that i mean like what are you gonna say no to an agent and say no to a publisher when yeah. it's been like what i've worked for so i called my sister and i was like jordan please go home and get my laptop and bring it here and i need it as fast as you can so she brings my laptop. My husband and I sit in the in the room, and I was like, "Babe, I was like, you're on the clock with me too. You got to help me rep this thing out. We got to get this done." And um, made went in, made the edits, tweaked everything, sent it off around 7 p.m. And then at 2 a.m., my son was born.
0: Oh my <laughs> so god!
1: It was like, and then and then it was like I had a baby. Like just totally forgot that I had sent this proposal off. And then a month later, they called and they were like, "Hey, we're going to publish it." So, um, just so much new new stuff. So I've been writing a book, um, with a newborn that's now, he's now nine months. So, um, that's been the last, that's kind of brought me to where I'm at. Um, I actually still work as a nurse. Um, and I love, I love my job. I, I, it's strange. People have asked all along, they were like, when are you going to quit your job? And it's been, it's been an interesting journey. Cause I think, especially when you get into the entrepreneurial space, that's kind of the, like, that's the end goal. That's what people idolize. They're like, quit your day job. And I'm like, I really love my day job, though. I don't necessarily want to quit it, mm-hmm. and it gives me a really different satisfaction and uses a whole different part of my brain and skill set than what writing does. Um, so I do still work part time as a nurse and stay at home with my kid the other half the time, and then write in in between all that. So um, yeah, so that kind of
0: that is such beyond being the most incredible story I think I've ever heard. Like just the cosmic timing of such like a huge like two monumental moments in your life kind of crashing into one another at the same time that's just like truly remarkable um i can't just i could never possibly imagine the like whirlwind of emotions that kind of a day like must have felt like
1: it was yeah it was pretty wild and still i'm like and you know it's funny cuz i was i was finally getting to a season that i you know, I had had so many, you know, failed attempts, rejections with my prior proposals and I was finally getting to the point that I was like, OK, God, if this is not what you have for me in the season, help me to open my hands and release it. Because if if you don't have this for me in the season, like I don't want to white knuckle this for myself because I'm just going to like it's just going to be a mess when mm-hmm. I try to control everything. And so I just got to this point that I was like, if this is not what, if this is not what is meant to be right now, I really do want to let this go, believing that it will come back in the time that it was. And so I feel like finally, and, you know, pregnancy and motherhood really also forces you to let go of control because you don't have control of anything. And so <laughs> I just, it had been this really beautiful journey of getting to this point too of like, okay, I'm I really felt like I had just released this and let this go. And it was like, if this is not it, then I just, I will, I will trust this and I will turn it over knowing that, you know, there will be a later time, but if this is it, then I better buckle up because it's a wild ride. And I also, I was one of those people that, um, you know, I waited into my thirties before having children and had been married for quite a while before. And so, and kind of had this checklist of all these things that I wanted to do and, um, and also realizing that it's like your life doesn't end when you have a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just begins. <laughs> yes, it really does. It really does. Um, and so that's been that's been a really neat part of the journey too. Because I think if you had told me, you told me six years ago that when I relaunched my blog and was like, I'm going to do this. If you had told me, oh yeah, you're not going to get your first publishing deal until you have a baby. I would have been like, no, hmm.
0: this is
1: not, that's not how it's going to work. So
0: um, I love that.
1: yeah. So really, really neat how it's all happened.
0: I think it's such like a, an important perspective because we live in such like an immediacy kind of environment where we have instant access to everything we want. So when we start doing things for ourselves, like, you know, writing for me, photography, et cetera, it's like you and want that immediate, you know, gratification. Like it's not like, like making any sort of giant life changes aren't you, you, there's no such thing as instant gratification, but because we're just so conditioned to expect that it's like, Oh, well, why am I not published on the cover of Vogue yet? And it's like, John, you've been taking pictures for five minutes. Relax.
1: (laughs) It really is. And I think too, we, I think we forget that all of these like overnight successes were not that for those people. It was, of labor and honing their craft until, you know, you know, until that was it for my dad until he got his first number one song and that's it until you're on the cover of Vogue and all you know until you get your first book deal and it's like what people perceive as an overnight success through social media is really has been years in the making. Um, but oh, it's for really sure.
0: World yeah.
1: That's saturated
0: with. Yeah. To- I mean, the the context of that is so crucially important because we live this highlight reel like you mentioned on the internet where we just put our best foot forward always and I think that's why there's such like a a a, you know a dualistic nature in life where like people are publicly showing how happy they are but like privately battling like depression and you know imposter syndrome like all these things that like are just super common but nobody talks about it because we're just showing the highlights um speaking of imposter syndrome, you know, you spend a long time obviously trying to get this book deal done. Um, I, I'm kind of in the midst of like this, like life changing kind of moment for myself as well. Like I've, I've, really focused on photography for the last year. And just now everything's starting to fall into place for like the seeds that I planted a year ago. And plenty of times over the course of that journey, I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Like, this is such a waste of your time, your energy, your money, like everything. It's just like not working. Like you, you have a love for something, but it can just be a hobby. And I'm starting to now like reap the benefits of that hard work. But talk to me about your own journey. Cause obviously it was a lengthy period of time from proposal to now, you know, you're, you're enacting the 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 books, uh, you know, putting the book into place now. So, but like, talk to me about that journey, like rejection after rejection to, you know, finally the acceptance.
1: Yeah. You know, I, when you were saying this, it made me think about this other piece too, that I think a lot of times what's, what's preached and pushed on social media is know your worth. Um, you know, if you're, especially if you're in this entrepreneur space, increase your prices, like, you know, whatever. And yes, absolutely. Everyone needs to make a living, but also to... When you, you know, kind of for both of us of like starting something new, it's like you're the new kid on the block. And so like, yeah, you might do that at midlife, but you just, you can't walk in like demanding top dollar for your work if you don't have a whole portfolio and a CV full of experience. And so I think for me early on with that, it felt really, I mean, and at that point, I had been a nurse for about five years, which is like a 100 years in nursing <laughs> life. Yeah. But um, now it is because people are leaving the profession so quickly, which is sad. But, but at that point, it was like, okay, I was pretty good at my job had like, you know, grown into some leadership positions. And so starting something new, like writing just kind of felt like, who am I to do this? I obviously had no idea what I was doing. Um, but it, I think it felt it felt really good to remember that it's okay to be new at something. It's okay to be really inexperienced and it's okay to learn. And I think we also feel like we have to jump in and just be this like prodigy at whatever it is that we're doing. And it's like, no, the best of the world, they've spent years honing their craft and getting here. And so I, I mean, I definitely early on and still do struggle with imposter syndrome of, you know, who am I and, you know, comparing my work to other people, but, i um i was actually talking to my dad about this a while ago just like you know after after being a writer for 30 years what do you do like what do you think when you look back on your work in the early days like do you look back on it lovingly at that artist that created that or do you look back at it and kind of scoff and be like oh my gosh that's embarrassing i can't you know i can't believe i ever wrote (laughs) something like that um and and you know he said you know he obviously looks back looks back at things and and he's grateful for the ways that he's grown but he just said every day when i sit down and he said I, i'm working on something and he said it's just kind of that feeling of like this isn't quite there but i don't know what's missing but i've, I've you know beat this dead horse and there's nothing else left I've, this has done all that i can do he said i just asked myself the question is this the best i can do at this time and if so, then he says, then the song's done. And if it's, you know, if it's not the best that I can do, then he says, I go and find someone to help me or I come back to it later. And that has really helped me on my creative journey of holding myself accountable to doing the best work that I'm capable of, but also letting myself, letting there be grace for the years of experience that I don't have just because I've only been doing this for you know, six years now, and this is my first book. And so Um, but, but it does make it really, it does make it challenging to live in this world where, you know, you can scroll through Instagram, um, or hop on Twitter or Facebook and you see all these other people that are really successful in their, their field. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think imposter syndrome is one of those things that it's like, I could talk about it for days. There's so many facets to it, but
0: it's funny. (laughs) I would say it's funny because I've, I've had the. I've been blessed with the ability to speak with a couple of like my photography kind of uh, inspirations and specifically this gentleman Jason Roman who I interviewed last week who's like one of the first people that I stumbled upon when I like fell in love with photography a few years ago and having conversations with like-minded people and I I was you know I made some joke of like it's funny to me that you and I have like the same job title right like we're both photographers and like I look at your work and I'm like this shit belongs in a museum and I look at my work and I'm like mm, okay we'll just like put that in a shoebox somewhere but it's just like very funny because the the commonality amongst pretty much all creatives that I know is that we all at some time or another doubt our worth doubt our ability doubt our skills and it would be great to it would be great to be able to figure out why that is i think it's just some like ingrained you know some creative block that every person has when they're, you know, kind of growing in these types of careers that limit our ability to be like, yeah, I'm the fucking best, but you know, it is, it is, it is funny. I, yeah. uh, I used to be a writer back in the day. I, I wrote a lot on the internet, uh, for like places like elite daily, uh, thought catalog, a bunch of these places. And it was like one of the most challenging things for me to like separate what was like online success with like how I like viewed my work. And I very recently went back and started reading like some of the old articles that I had that went viral and I was like, Holy crap, this is terrible. So my question for you is how often do you go back? Like you mentioned with your father, like do you go back at stuff you wrote five, six years ago and you're like, wow, this is terrible or like, Oh, maybe this is something that like can inspire you and like kind of something that you can like retake and, and you know, grow upon.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I recently within the last couple of years have started to go back and look and I'm a pretty, um, I would, I would definitely say i err more on the critical side of my own work and and so usually I'm looking at it through the lens of scrutiny and so in going back to it I've been like okay the one stipulation is that you have to be really nice to this young creative Meredith because he was just learning um like look at her like she was like she was a child because she was a child in creative years when she was starting all of this and so be really be really kind and so that's really helped me going back to my work. I look at it and I do laugh sometimes, um, but I also learned so much. And I can, I've learned to look really lovingly at that person that I was at that time and the words that I wrote um, and how they did reach people and impact them where they were. And it's like, I look back at things now. And um, I was having a conversation with a friend recently that it was like, with how rampant cancel culture is, I was like, I'm going to get canceled at some point. And you know what? I hope that. I hope that I keep evolving in what I think and what I believe and, in
0: even if you're not allowed to anymore right in 2021 you're like like, you're not allowed to like change your mind you're not allowed to grow right it's
1: like i'm sure that something's going to come out at some point that i wrote or said or that i did i'm going to be like i said that or i thought that or i believe that because i don't anymore but i i hope that that's the case because if if i hold to all these like if i die on all these hills and like you know say yeah this thing that i wrote six years ago is, you know, that is the gospel. It's like, no, like I am not growing. I'm not evolving. I'm not learning. I'm not changing. Um, I'm not transforming. And I, I don't, I don't want that. Um, but I, I
0: it's so exhausting about like being like a, a, you know, a person in modern times. It's like, you're not allowed to have said or thought something that like a young human (laughs) being thought like I'm sorry right. when I was 21 I thought xyz it's like no it's like you're supposed to be able to grow and like evolve yeah
1: yes well it's funny because we you know we would talk about this you know it's the same thing when you're interviewing candidates for a position that it's like you go on social media and you see what they what's there and it's like if there's a picture of them doing a keg stand in college okay cool like hopefully by the time they're you know in their mid 30s they're still not doing keg stands <laughs> on facebook but also like not hiring them because there was a picture of them doing a keg stand in college is really ridiculous to be because fair that no was,
0: person in their 30s are doing keg stands anymore right? like, so there's no shot <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's it's it, you know it's one of those things that it's like it's it's really it's really unfair to crucify people over things that they did or said years ago especially if they have changed and they've said wow i really don't agree with that or I'm embarrassed or I'm ashamed of that. Um, and so like, you know, hang them out to dry for that and cancel them because of it. It's like, shouldn't we all be able to have that chance to say, "Oh, I'm really sorry. I messed up. Um, what's but, the thing?
0: Uh, yeah. he who is without sin cast the first stone. It's like, you know, come yeah. on. It's just, it's just, patently ridiculous that we live in a society where everyone is a martyr for something or other. It's like, we just don't live with grace anymore and nobody really gives each other, any person, the ability to, to grow or be better. Um, you mentioned something super interesting earlier, kind of in, in terms of the highlight reel, how you were talking about how you wanted to have a book published by the time you're 30. I've often articulated how like so much of your life is like pre planned. Like, graduate high school, go to college, get married, white pick a fence, all in yards, like we pre-planned so many stages of our lives. I'm 35 now, I'm nowhere near where I thought I would be at this age. But talk to me a little bit about your like creative and writing journey, how you expected to be in one place at one time and obviously you've reached that goal, albeit not in the timeline, but like how's that like kind of informed your process and your creativity?
1: Yeah, you know, I think um I think, especially, and you might feel this way too. The older I get, the just the more loosely I hold things in life. And you see, you see enough pain, enough tragedy, enough loss and grief that you're like, man, we really don't have tomorrow. And so it's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna show up and do the work that I was put on this earth to do today, and um, and then the rest of it's out of my hands. But yeah, I, I, you know, kind of had this idea. I, you know, graduated high school, went to college, graduated nursing school, passed my boards, got a job, started working, um, and then by the time I was 24, 25 started blogging. And, um, you know, and and I think when I look back at the timelines of my life, I really see them more as like, they were, they were more goals that I had set. And I think goals are great. And I still set them. Um, but I also look at those a lot more loosely that rather than being like, by, you know, July first, <laughs> you know, 2022, it's more like, okay, what am I going to accomplish in Q1 of this year? What about Q2? And kind of realize that, that like, it's okay if there's some bleed over into like what I had, you know, what I was shooting for in Q2, got pushed off to Q3, that's okay. Um, and so, yeah, I think the older that I've gotten and the more that I've grown professionally as a nurse and also as a writer, these these timelines of my life are really just more like, these are, these are goals and they do have, they, they do have a timeline that it's like, you know, if I say I'm going to write a book and also never start a blog, never start a podcast, never do anything, then it's like, well, that's not really, that's not my goal. But as long as there's, um, as long as there's work that's moving you in a certain direction, um, I just, yeah, I feel like I've, it, I've just found a lot of freedom in letting go of certain metrics and dates and, um, timelines rather than like, this is, this is what I'm working towards. This is a dream that I have and this is how I'm moving to accomplish it.
0: Yeah. I'm super glad you said that because I think there is a really interesting point in young, uh, I'm going to consider myself a young adult in a young adult's life, somewhere between 30 and 35, where things just start falling into place and making sense mentally. I think there's like the process in which you like think about your life gets a lot clearer, right? You've had tragedy, you've had ups and downs, you've lived enough of like a real adult life, that it gives context and informs what you want to do with the rest of your life. And I think that it's something, you know, I've asked this question a million times, like, could 25 year old john have been doing what 35 year old john is doing? And I don't think I could. Some people seem to think that you can learn these lessons at a younger age, I think it takes a, you know, a 10 year period for you to kind of get this level of clarity. And, you know, copious amounts of therapy as well. But I think it's just a really interesting kind of grace that I've learned about myself in my 30s where I'm not trying to impress people anymore. I'm not trying to put on a show for anyone else. I'm trying to fill my life up with the things that make me happy. And there's no fucking way 25-year-old John could have done that. There's just zero chance. I would be much more concerned about, oh, am I posting that I'm at a club on a Friday night? How many likes is this picture getting? Blah, blah, blah. And those things don't matter at all
1: so much more concerned with what other people think about you and how you are perceived by people. And yeah, you know, I've told people recently, I, um, I'm really thankful now that I waited till I was in my thirties before having a child, because I mean, there are things about it that it's like, Oh yeah, mom shame's a real thing. But for the most part, I do not care what people think about me as a mom. I do not care what they think about my decisions and what I am how I am raising my son, and I just don't care. And I know that if I was 25, I would have been so much more consumed with people's thoughts and opinions and their ideas. And now it's to the point that it's like, you know what? I don't care. Like there's people in my life that they're important and I value their wisdom and their guidance, but for the rest of, for the rest of you people out there, you go have fun with your own life. I'm gonna live mine, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be fine with it. I'm gonna be fine with myself and the way that I'm a mom. And I just I don't have this bad mom complex that I've heard so many people just really really struggle with. Um,
0: yeah, that's great. I mean,
1: think, I think you're right that there's something that comes with aging that I don't really know that you can have it in your 20s. Um, I mean, I had a couple. There was you know some really formative experiences in my 20s. Living abroad was one of them. I had. Two friends, one from college, and then a good childhood friend who um, passed away in car wrecks in my twenties, which mm-hmm. were really formative things. And so, but it's like those things—I, I would not, I would not have the the same knowledge and awareness and just groundedness. I think that I have now. Um, I just don't know that I could have had that in my twenties. So yeah, me,
0: me neither. Yeah, it's 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 super interesting because I've I've grown so much in such a short period of time, and it, it just it's such a like a fulfilling feeling to be able to feel each day like a more comfortable version of yourself. And I think at at its core, that's like what I would hope to have been like in my 20s. And I think, you know, confidence in who I was as a person was wrapped up in things outside of who I actually was. And that's no longer the case.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: Speaking of confidence, so you went through like a fairly decent journey of rejection with writing um, and you obviously put together an, a number of proposals to be published to become a published author um, what does that rejection do to like your confidence as a writer as like going back to the page because I can tell you firsthand as a quote-unquote used to be writer I stopped like I no longer could do the creative outlet of writing because I felt like too big of a failure. So talk to me about that process and like how that rejection kind of informs your confidence in something that you love doing that you obviously are good at.
1: Yeah. So, man. Okay. 2019. I, this is actually really funny looking back at like the year that 2020 and 2021 was. <laughs> 2019, I just called it the year of rejection because I pitched my first proposal in like February of 2020 or 2019. So, I mean, for people that don't know about book proposals, you spend months working on them. It's like a this 40 to 50 page document. It's this, you know, full blown proposal. Like you type up like who your target audience is, you fill out a whole marketing plan and then, you know, all the chapter summaries, the premise of the book, and then you write two to three sample chapters. So it's a lot of work. It's not like you just, you know, sit down a couple evenings after work and, you know, rep this out. Like it is months in the making. So I finished my first proposal, started pitching it got a little bit of traction with some agents that I thought I might sign with. And then some things got kind of weird. And I was like, I just don't think this is quite right. So shopped it around for a little while and um, kind of got some feedback that was helpful to go back to the drawing board with it. And then I had an agent that was kind of, I would kind of ranked my like top tier agencies and top tier publishers that it was like, if I could ever get signed by them, I, that would be a dream come true. So I had an agent from one of these agencies contact me and she we chatted on the phone really hit it off she said that she liked my proposal but she she was more interested in a book that was the premise of my blog and podcast the other half and so she was like can you write me a proposal for that book and i was like okay uh (laughs) you know how long these take," so i was like sure thing let me do that so i go back to the drawing board and create an entirely new proposal for an entirely new book idea, and in the meantime, that year I had um, I sat for a certification exam that I failed, and um, there's only like thirteen hundred of these people certified in the world, and so wow. and after the test I was like, well, no wonder because it's that hard, um, and so there there was that, so I failed that, and then I interviewed for a job that with vanderbilt life flight that i didn't get and so i was like okay man this you know what does it tell you makes you stronger i mean it was just like it felt like so much rejection and so much failure from my you know professional world as a nurse which was like something that i was really good at and then it also felt like trying to move into this world as a writer i was just facing a lot of rejection so i'm like having this huge crisis of like well i just suck at everything and um But I, so I go back to the drawing board, create the second proposal and go back to this agent. I'm like really excited. I'm finally done with it. I'm like, okay, I hope she'll love it. And then she'll sign me. And it's just like radio silence. Never heard back from her. She ended up taking another job. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess I've got another proposal. So I'll start shopping this one around. So started pitching that one and the same feedback that I got over and over and over again was your platform's not big enough. Your platform's not big enough. And I just like,
0: platform being Instagram followers and such
1: followers and email lists and all that. And, um, and, you know, it's like, I get it. Like it is like, you have to look at like projections for sales and like, that's important. But at the same time I was like, so it's not good enough to just be a good writer. Um, And so that year was just full of like, rejection and failure. And after that second proposal, um, really just didn't like nothing materialized from it. I was like, well, I mean, is this it? Like maybe, you know, you hear the stories of people that, you know, they went to 60 publishers and they finally, you know, got somebody to publish it or, you know, all these other people in different fields that you hear the failure and just their tenacity of coming back up and saying and coming back and saying, I'm not giving up. But then you start to look at yourself and you're like, but wait a minute, am I actually a really bad writer? And am <laughs> I this old, that's just like, so like, do I have rose colored glasses on? And just like, am I, am I just stupid or, or is like, is does it just take a little bit more grit and time and patience? And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, and it really did in that season, like you were talking about it's so hard to be creative when you have when you're getting rejection after rejection because it just colors the way that you see yourself it colors the way that you see your work um and i think in that season i when i look back at the things that i wrote um again i try to not be overly critical or scoff at it but i look at the things that i wrote in that season and they are so not true to who i was because i was experiencing so much rejection for my own work that I was like, well, this is obviously not right. So I read things now, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you can tell that I had totally been reading a lot of like whatever that author was, or I'd been reading this person's blog and trying to, trying to emulate that, which is, you know, it's not bad. Like that's such a form of, that's a, you know, it's yeah. But it, it's, it's just funny. um, Looking back at my work at that time, it was very, it was very sparse. But when I did the things now, it's like, that was not me at all. Um Have you so reached? I think.
0: I was just say, have you reached a, a point in your writing career or at least in your like journey with your, you know, your confidence in your writing that you now like have enough faith in yourself that it's good?
1: Yeah, I do. And I, um, I, I, I do. And yeah, I mean, there's, I always sit down with the thing that it's like, I want to do the best that I can do. And I, I'll tell you what I am getting, I am getting the schooling of a lifetime writing my first book because I'm like (laughs) I tell people I'm like you know I knew that I was like a really bad editor like I'm I'm good at writing but this whole process has made me realize how much I don't know as a writer and how much I have to grow and learn and um which I which I love that part of it but I but I do I think I think what maybe one of the gifts that rejection gives you once you stay at it and once you find a little bit of success and you and you find a little bit of your identity as who you are as you find out who you are as a creative is that you you know that your work's good Mm -hmm. and it's like maybe it didn't fit for that publication but that doesn't mean it's bad it doesn't mean it's off um so yeah I think I don't I don't think I as easily fall into that um like I used to but that's great I
0: I, I still do that you know from a from a photography perspective you know your own there are plenty of commercially successful wildly famous photographers with like 700 Instagram followers because you don't live your creative career on a social media application and that being said I wrestle with that a lot because I'm like well you know I am doing the things I want to do like I'm shooting bands that I want to shoot like I'm you know I've had the opportunity to shoot like incredible concerts that like are like my dream I'm working with models and creating like really you know beautiful works of art and like my street photography is like just getting better and better and like my eye is getting better and better but you know I don't have 20,000 Instagram followers I don't have blah 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 and it's like what a dumb fucking thing to worry about because like if Facebook turns Instagram off tomorrow it's like I'm still a photographer I'm still like making work yeah it's just such a funny the the, like the dual the duality of like trying to be a social media person with X number of followers doesn't necessarily correlate to success in your field
1: yeah and you know that's why I I think I, I was this is actually kind of a different is i'll tie back in so i was listening to this podcast recently and it was this young guy in his 20s or 30s and he had built this huge mega church that just like exploded with growth and he kind of came along in the early era of blogging and really capitalized on that and um and he at some point like i mean he wasn't even 35 at this point said that he couldn't learn anything from pastors that didn't have churches over you know, 10,000 people um, because they, they didn't under. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, well, first of all, the level of arrogance, like to think that you can't learn yeah. anything from anything else, but also too, he was like, they, they don't know anything about the blogging world. They never did any of that. But I've started to look at people like, especially people, my dad's in his sixties now people in their forties, fifties and sixties that it's like, they built their professional career without the internet. Mm-hmm. And so Dave, and I look at these people too, that have sold thousands hundreds of thousands of books and it's like they did that before there was amazon that's and why so, it made me
0: laugh when you're when one of the publishers was like well you don't have a big enough following like yeah. that to me is like well pre-instagram followers what were you doing to market a book right like do yeah. your job and not like have me build in my sales if i'm building yeah. it in myself what do i need you for i'll publish it myself right
1: Yes. Yeah. And you know, and that's, that's where it's like, oh, people went around and spoke. They spoke in person at events and they sold books. And it is really cool that we have the internet and we have social media now, and we have that ability to market and sell to people that way. But going back to this thing that it's like, people have been doing this for years and years, and we could actually learn a lot from people who built their careers before the internet. And how did they, how did they sell how did they market how did they become successful because it is like you said it's like if instagram shuts down tomorrow you're still a photographer like if it shuts down i'm still a writer and but it's so much of your so much of your identity and what it feels like is like your worth as a creative hinges on metrics and numbers and that platform um which i think just really destroys a lot of people's creativity oh
0: totally do you Do you struggle with that at all? Like, do you look at like other, you know, I feel like you're like kind of on the cusp, right? You're like about to finish your first book. It's about to be published. So like, maybe it's like you're, you know, comparing, I often say I'm comparing my chapter one with other people's like chapter 50. So it's super unfair for me to be like, well, I don't have X, Y, Z, right? So I have to like give myself the the leeway to be able to be like, okay, I'm here. They're there for a reason. But do you find yourself like still comparing, you know, followers, things like that? Yeah.
1: I was actually talking to my writing coach about this as I was trying to finish the final chapter of my book. And she was like, I think you're comparing your final chapter to the final chapters you've read in other books. And she was like, you have to realize that yours hasn't been through revisions yet. And it really, I was like, Oh my gosh. And that's how I look at a lot of my life too. As you know, as a wife, as a mom, as a writer, as a nurse, I look at my chapter one compared to other people's chapter 20 and and it, it's not there. It's not the same. And um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I, I actually spend now that I have a kid, I spend far less time on social media and I'm so much happier because oh, of yeah. it. And, and I'm, <laughs> when I'm on it now, I, I check in on my friends and then I usually it, I'm it's there for like information or I'm looking, I'm looking at something like, Oh, this person just released this or, Oh, I want to, you know, it's, it's intentional. There's not as much, mindless scrolling because i think the mindless scrolling and like the minutes that turn into hours on social media that's when it becomes this really dangerous place mm-hmm. um
0: i completely agree
1: harrison and then it's just yeah it's just awful
0: is your book fiction or non-fiction
1: it's nonfiction. fiction
0: okay so from when i was writing a lot of my inspirations for what i was doing was similar. Like I was talking about relationships and dating and love and like all this dumb shit that at 25, I didn't know anything about, but I pretended like I was an expert on, um, what kind of like inspires, like your, your writing, what kind of like inspires and informs your process and kind of like how, talk me through what that looks like.
1: Yeah. You know, I think what inspires, um, Oh, what is this? I don't know, I cannot remember who this quote was um by I don't know if it was Stephen Pressfield in his book, The War of Art. But anyways, he talks about how he waits for inspiration to strike before he writes. And he says <laughs> something about the fact that thankfully inspiration strikes every morning at eight o'clock. And it and the the joke in it was that like you're not going to, I mean, you, I'm sure you feel this too, as a photographer, you don't feel inspired every day to wake up and go create. And it's like that feeling and that inspiration is such a gift when you have it. But the life of a creative most days is getting up at eight o'clock and sitting down and starting to edit photos. And it's starting to write whether you feel inspired or not. And so the moments that I do feel inspiration, I try to capture it in some way. I will you know, if I have a thought or I'm in a conversation, I will jot it down. I'll do a little voice memo in my phone. I'll take a picture of something so that I can go back to it later and remember. Um, but I, I I find so much inspiration in reading other people's work and in, in consuming other people's art. There's a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And it's, I think anyone should read it, even if you're not, even if you wouldn't call yourself a creative. Um, And she has these things that she calls artist dates and um, that you just take yourself on once a week, however often, but, you know, she gives all these, all these ideas. You can go to a art museum, you can go watch a movie, you can go do anything, just do something that inspires creativity in you. And I think in this day and age, it feels really frivolous and kind of, it's like, oh, I don't have time for that. Uh, But especially in writing this book, that was, that was one of the things that I did for myself was I would schedule these artist dates. I don't tell people this because it's not a thing, but I, I play guitar. Um, you grew <laughs> up in Nashville, so just learn to play guitar. I play guitar more while I was writing this book than I have in the last 10 years of my life, because it was like, there's just something about doing something creative or consuming art that really inspires you. And so, um, Yeah. I mean, whenever my mom's a florist and so I would come over some days when she would have events and I would come over and I would make flower arrangements and that's, I'm not a florist. That's not my wheelhouse, but there's something about creating that begets more creating and um, inspiration that it comes from when you actually engage with life and with other people and, oh. and creating. So.
0: I love that. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I feel that every time I like pick my camera up and like I'm doing the thing that I love to do. And yeah. I was recently asked, like, explain to me like what that feeling's like. And so I was I was shooting the Gin Blossoms Friday night at a venue close to my apartment. And I've loved them since the 90s. Like they're just like a great 90s band. And there was like this the first song was one of their hits and I was like, holy shit. I was like, I got goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps now talking about it. I was like, I'm literally doing the thing that I was hoping I would be doing a year ago. And like tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and edit these photos and it's going to be like reliving that moment again. And then still somewhere along the line, I'll be like, well, you're not really good enough. And there's there's like this seed of doubt. Meanwhile, I'm like literally living my best life, like creating the things that I want to do. And it's just like this amazing experience it's like so surreal to be able to like be able to do the thing that you love and like live in that moment it's i I think the biggest thing that i've learned over the last couple years is like taking the time to appreciate things as they happen and i for sure didn't do that enough like in my in my younger age
1: yeah i think what you said right there is appreciating things as they're happening because it is so easy to get stuck in this rat race of the next thing. And it's like, as soon as you accomplish one thing then it's like, well, you're always looking for the bigger, better more, but it's like you were doing what you've dreamed of doing. And Mm -hmm. it's like behind the lens shooting a band that you love, listening to a song that get that like has that much of a impact on you, that gives you goosebumps. It's like, that's what you've dreamed of doing and you're doing it. And so I think that's such a huge part of the journey. I actually was thinking that, um, I had finished up, I I had been at work, um, I've been in, at work for a case, got done, I was going to go work out before I picked up my son, but I was like, well, I've got like this one hour window of time, and I ended up, um, I just, I was like, well, I could go to this coffee shop, it's going to take too long, and all these things, and Nashville traffic, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to sit in my car, and rep out a few edits in my, in my manuscript before I send it in, and I got done, and I closed my laptop, and I was like, first of all, I was, you know, it's one of those things, I was like, well, sitting in your car writing is not the most ideal thing, but I was like, I'm actually doing, I'm doing what I want to do. I've always dreamed about, about writing a book and I'm getting to do that now. And I just left the ER after taking care of a patient from getting called in for a case. And it's like, I got to do that and I love to do it. And now I'm writing my book and now I'm going to go pick up my son and I'm going to hang out with him for the rest of the day. And it's like those little moments like that. It's like, you've always dreamed about it. You've always worked for it, And then they come and they go and they're so fleeting and you don't realize it's like, but this is what I, this is what I wanted. And there really is so much joy and happiness to be found in the journey. And that is so cliche to say, but we all, we get so fixated on the next thing, the bigger, better, more, we're so focused on the destination that the journey loses all of its joy. And we forget our first love, which is creating. And, um, yeah. So I just, I love that story yeah. that you shared. Though.
0: It's funny because there, there's a movie, um, that I watch often. It's the secret life of Walter Mitty with uh, Ben Stiller. Um, Love the movie. I think it's like a really, uh, it's first very visually creative, but also it it's, there's something about it where like, I'm watching this guy lead a very mundane, normal everyday life with like zero joy, zero happiness, zero purpose. And that was kind of like where I was a year ago. Like I was chasing money. I was, you know, caught on a hamster wheel and I was miserable. I was wildly unhappy. And, now in the last year, I look at like the the growth and the journey that I've kind of gone through and it's like, holy shit, like I don't even, I wouldn't even recognize, you know, two-year-old yeah. me, let alone one-year-old me, it's like crazy um, and something that I started doing in the last few months is like, I write, like, a little bit, like, in the morning, like, you know, goals for the day or week or just, like, things, like, I want to see myself accomplish. And then, like, also at night before I go to bed, like, what was I thankful for in the day? Um, because there, there's – the journey is, like, so fleeting, like you said. And, like, there's, like, all these, like, little moments of your life that are amazing. Like, I got a text this morning – about like a story that I wrote and some photos that I, uh, created that are going to be in a magazine sometime next year. And I was like, woke up to this incredible news. And I was like, holy shit. Like, this is like one of those, you know, dream come true moments. And like, I just sat, I wrote down like what I was thinking, what I was feeling. So like, hopefully maybe like five years from now, like I'll have the magazine and I'll have that like little jot down in my journal where I'm talking about like those things that I was feeling. And it's like, you know, the, you can, give yourself like a little bit more of like context to like your life versus just like kind of going through the motions and uh, you know, that kind of deal. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. So it's, it's very funny to me because you're, you're kind of like in a position where I am is where like, we're kind of just on the cusp of like all of our dreams coming true. Um, how much pressure do you put on yourself? Like, you know, staring down the barrel of the completion of your novel and then like the success. So like for me, like if I was writing my first book, the completion of that would be farly, you know, greater than the sum total of the number of copies sold. But I would imagine that's not the easiest thing to go by. So, like, how much pressure do you like feel, you know, being on the climax of like finishing this this work that you're you've been, you know, compiling? And then, like, what happens to it after it's done?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question because I've thought about that a lot, um, and so I was, I was actually thinking about this when I was uh, meeting with my writing coach. Cause I was like, you know, I, I finished my first draft in the sense that like, I, I met my word count, but it's definitely not ready to be turned in. And I was like, Molly, I'm just, you know, I got to do this and I got to do that. And, um, you know, she was like, I think that you need to define for yourself what done is because she said, if not, you're, it's never going to be, it's never like, Perfection is the enemy of the good and of good enough. And so she, you need to define what good enough is and what done is. She said because you're about to turn this over to your editor and it's going to go through months of revisions. Um, and so that got me thinking too. I was like, okay, then what is like what's what's my definition of good enough or what is um, what is done or what is success when it comes to the next phase of this book? And and I I haven't you know said set specific metrics in terms of sales within the first, you know, seven days, 30 days, 90 days. Um, But I, but I was thinking recently, I was like, you know what, what success is actually defined, what, what I will define as success is if I get to keep writing after this. Um, And so, you know, and, and then I had to go into this. (laughs) Well, so so that's the the thing is I was like, well, but wait a minute, is it writing or is it getting another book deal? Because those are two very different things. And it was like, yeah, but if this wasn't doesn't sell good enough, then I don't get, you know, I don't get another book deal. And so realizing that it was like, oh, wait, success is that I write this book. And regardless of whether it sells, you know, 10 copies to my family or, you know, 10,000 copies, I can, I get to wake up and write again the next day. And it was like, Oh, I do get to do that. So like, and it just, it gave me a lot of freedom in the sense that it's like, I do, I do want my book to sell well. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to work my ass off to, to, you know, to get it to do well, because I do have the dream of publishing more books. But if at the end of the day, I never get another book deal. I've thought about that so much recently, I think with just life and with my son and I'm like, man, God, if you don't give me another child, if you don't ever, if you don't give me all these things in my life that I've dreamed of, that I've thought of, like, this is enough. And what I've been given is so good. And I'm so thankful for it. And my life is so beautiful that it's like, Mm. if I Mm. never got another good thing, is this good enough for me? And it's really hard to wrestle with, but kind of, kind of tying into what you said that it's like, I do get to wake up and still be a writer. So I, I guess for me, that is the success is that I get to I get to create the rest of my life.
0: So. Yeah, that's it's such a beautiful con you know, kind of construct that you've allowed yourself to like live in because like so much of life is, you know, the next thing and very seldom is it like, Wow, if I don't wake up tomorrow, like would I be okay with that? And like, part of me would be like, no, of course not. There's so many things I want to accomplish so much stuff I want to do. But like, I've started living my life in a way that I think like is more intentional, more uh, family and friend, focus and less like, you know, extraneous details, like whether I buy another pair of sneakers or a nicer car or whatever. And like, these things are so crucially important to like, you know, at the end of the day, like we're all going to get sick, we're all going to die. Like it's, we don't get to choose when that happens. And if you can kind of live your life with intentionality throughout the time that you have, I think it gives you that kind of, um, you know, that, that, That life kind of reaffirming, you know, prospect where you can say, "Hey, like, if I don't have another kid or if I don't write another book, I'm still incredibly blessed and lucky for all the things that I do already have." And that's almost like the problem with like life in general, because it's always we're comparing ourselves and what we have in relation to other people, and we're never like thankful or, you know, content with what we have. I actually just did a solo podcast a couple weeks ago. Where I was like, I'm super happy every day, but I'm like wildly discontent. Like I'm 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 mired in this dissatisfaction with the career growth, the Instagram followers, the downloads on my pocket, like all these things like that have really no you know no construct in my happiness at all that I'm allowing to impact my happiness and I think it's really funny when you're like able to look at something like I wake up every day incredibly happy to be alive thankful that I have my friends and family in my life thankfully that I'm like healthy and like all these things that are super actually important and then I worry about things that are completely unnecessary
1: oh yeah (laughs) and that's what feels the joy out of life yeah I know that's it's like you said you can you can wake up and be happy and then, and be thankful for all the things like family and friends doing work that you love. And then when you get zero done on these things that we know don't matter because they don't have any <laughs> eternal, day. like at some point this world will be gone. We'll all be gone. Nobody will remember us, mm-hmm. which is like actually really freeing. And so it's like, why do I give a damn about my podcast downloads? <laughs> why do I even care about my Instagram followers? Uh, but that is, but that is just part of like the struggle of, of, this world and just living in this place that it's like you can you can be so happy and then at the same time it's like oh my gosh i am very deeply discontent and it's because of a lot of really fleeting things that don't matter
0: um, 100% you're completely yeah, so it's, correct it's
1: like that that work of just shifting your gaze from like locking in on the things that are unimportant to looking ahead to like what's it what's of eternal value people um and what's what's what really matters in life it's like you know if if you knew you weren't going to be here tomorrow I hope that you wouldn't be recording this podcast with me I hope you'd be with your friends and your family and you would be spending it with the people that meant something to you um in the same way that if I wasn't going to be here tomorrow I would be loving on my son I would be with all my sisters and my parents and we would just have a big old party and so it really does reframe the way that you look at every day that it's like Oh, what are the things that actually bring me joy? What are the things of eternal value in my life that I want to make sure that I'm intentional about? Um, Because it's not the podcast download.
0: I like that. Um, I like to spend like the last bit of every one of my podcasts just doing sort of like a rapid fire uh, question thing. You don't have to put much thought process into them. Some of them are super easy. Some of them might require a little thought on your end. But my first question for you as a writer, what is your favorite book?
1: oh man
0: <laughs> so unfair I know
1: <laughs> as a creative I love Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert I oh. think anyone that's a creative whether they're a writer or not read Big Magic it's so good
0: okay what's your favorite movie
1: um I've always loved Father of the Bride with <laughs> Kimberly Lincoln, Nice, Steve Martin
0: so good I think I like Part 2 better but yeah both Yeah, both part two. good <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> What are you most proud of?
1: I I am most proud of my son and um, the marriage that my husband and I have worked really hard cultivating.
0: Oh, I love that. Do you believe in an afterlife? I do. Does that give you like freedom in life?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because it just makes me feel like stuff now, it does matter, but it's, but it's transient and it's temporary.
0: Mm, I like that. Um, what's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you?
1: Ooh. I'll, I'll just say this one because right off the top of my head someone said you don't need a lot of shit babies babies just they don't need all that shit and they're right they don't they don't need <laughs> all that shit. so i'm very much a minimalist my husband is not half the baby stuff i wish we'd never even bought
0: <laughs> i like that i uh, i've very very recently you know we were we do like a secret santa every year for christmas because i got a big <laughs> family so it's like not logical to buy 15 christmas presents right so we do like where everyone you know every adult gets two people and you buy two gifts and i was like literally i don't need a thing i don't need a sweater i don't need a pair of socks i don't need a pair of underwear i don't need a thing i was like and i'm sorry for whoever has me this year because please don't get me anything like please give me a gift certificate to the freaking shop right i you know food market like I, i don't need i literally don't need a thing and i think that's like so indicative of the lives that we live for sure. <laughs> what is your best piece of advice for someone that's hearing you on this podcast for the first time? Um,
1: I think my best piece of advice is if you find yourself in a place where you're stalled out creatively, if you are feeling overwhelmingly discontent with your life or just kind of like not, not super happy with it, go spend time with people that you love because that's really, that's what matters. And you will not regret that time. The way that you spend that time. We do regret time that we spend Netflix binging. <laughs> we regret time we spend scrolling, but I've never there's I don't, I don't regret time that I spend with people I love. So yeah,
0: I actually love that. It's funny because whenever I'm having a bad day or, or any kind of like, I'm in my feels or anything that's like going wrong and I'm like I text my brother I'm like hey um, I'm coming over to see the he's got three kids I'm like I'm coming over to see the kids I'll be over in a little bit and it's like immediately whether it's five yeah. minutes ten minutes an hour I leave feeling better and I forgot about whatever I was worried about and I, I completely yeah. completely agree. Um, Meredith thank you so much for coming on the podcast today I had so much fun chatting with you you're just such a light and I'm I'm so hopeful for your book and, and so looking forward to all the great things that you have coming, coming out and I'm, I'm just super appreciative that you uh spent the time with me today
1: well, thank you so much for having me i've so enjoyed our conversation and yeah thank yeah. you
0: you're welcome thanks